For a text this morning, we'll turn to the Gospel of John, to the 10th chapter. Now we'll read the, the first 18 verses. Reading in Jesus' name. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a, shep- and a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling, not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Amen. This is a parable of Jesus that's recorded for us. And the one thing that I find very interesting in this is that there isn't a question about the sheep as far as whether they are true sheep or not. And it is something that I guess seems, I guess it strikes me maybe because of my own mind. So often it seems that we look at situations and wonder where someone's at. And I think it is something that it is good to be aware of. It is something that I guess we know as Christians, as we go through life, we run into people, and perhaps people who we don't even know that well, or perhaps have only just met, and we don't have to visit with them too long about matters of importance, or even perhaps just about life and, and that leads to speaking about matters of the heart. And you soon can feel there is a spirit there that answers with the spirit that is within us. And it is something that I think all of us rejoice when there is someone and that spirit answers and you can know that it is the spirit of God there. This here, I think it is speaking a little bit of other things, perhaps. It says, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, 
And the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. Jesus, we see here in this parable how much he is the completeness to us that we need. He, he is the shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the door. It says that the porter openeth. I believe that is speaking of the Holy Spirit. Because it is that Holy Spirit that opens Christ to a heart. That reveals Christ to a heart. And in that unity, it shows us, I guess, the importance, or maybe I should say the simplicity, of the fact that this Bible, which we call the Word of God, which we know is truth, that if there is some spirit or someone or anything that would claim something as a truth or claim something to be a certain way if it doesn't line up with the word of God we don't have to question whether it is an actually truth or not we don't have to wonder that oh perhaps that is something truthful It isn't. If it is different or contrary from what God's Word says, we can very simply be assured that it comes from somewhere else. It doesn't come of Christ. That Spirit of God is not bringing it to us. It is not something that God... I've seen in various places, and they I can't re- exactly remember the titles of them, but on books or articles or something, and say some the idea is that it's something that's been hidden by God, and now somebody's found it out, and it's some new revelation. I believe the last, and I, I wouldn't even say it's a new revelation, but it's the completeness of the revelation came when Christ came. And he brought that new covenant and revealed how it is and fulfilled what was necessary, even as it says in the end of the text. Because it was the will and the commandment of God that he would come as we have just celebrated at Christmas here, and live his life in obedience to God and fulfill those commandments of God and die, that we could live and be and do it by simple faith. We know... And I guess that is, I guess, one of the importances of studying this word and reading about, if I say repentances or conversions, and coming to understand how it is that God works with mankind, how it is that God works to bring someone in faith. A story comes to my mind that we're all familiar with, I'm sure, in the Old Testament when Naaman the Syrian, it says that he was a leper and he comes to Samaria to be healed because a little maid in his household says that there's a man of God in Israel who could heal him of his leprosy. And now this is 
a total side note, but it jumped into my head, and it's something that is a marvel to me. Well, there's so much about that that is wonderful. But the fact that this little girl was given to understand that Elisha could heal Naaman of his leprosy. And we could perhaps think that this is something that Elisha did quite often and she had heard of it or seen of it before she was captured and brought to Syria. But we read Christ's words in the New Testament and he says, in the time of Naaman the prophet, there was many lepers, but none were healed save Naaman the Syrian. So we see that God can work with hearts. And he can reveal things even if it's something that it hasn't happened before. A miracle like that. And it was revealed. And it says to a little maid. She was a little slave girl basically in Naaman's house. It was a very humble position. And I think it gives us some insight to the hearts that God works with. Anyway, Naaman, he comes to Elisha. And I'll just read a short bit. This is in the fifth chapter of Second Kings, starting at the ninth verse. And it says, So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariots and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away, and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me, and stand and call on the name of his Lord, of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, and recover the leprosy. What do we see there? We see human nature. He had a preconceived idea with his natural reasoning of how it is that God would heal that leprosy. And we know that it is a spiritual picture of sin. Because that is what the, the problem is. From the time that Eve fell in the Garden of Eden until the end of time. That is the problem that we need that needs to be dealt with. And we know as Christians the stories of Christmas and Easter and how Christ came and dealt with that problem. And we can speak, and we speak of the gospel message, which is, I guess we could say, is good news. It's the good news of what Christ has done for us. And we can share that with people and we can share with people of the mercy of God and how loving and forgiving He is. And it is true. But I think we also need to share with people why it is that we as people would need that. If a heart... If it is not revealed to a heart, or if a heart does not realize individually, not just as mankind, but individually, what we are when it comes to standing before the judgment of a righteous God, we don't realize why we would even need to take advantage of that mercy or love that is there from God. In Colossians, it tells us that we are to speak. I should just turn to it to quote it correctly. It says, um, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. That's how we are to speak to everyone. We are to be gracious, but it says seasoned with salt. And I believe that that salt, it speaks of the righteousness that is God, 
the righteousness that is required of mankind to be, I guess, accepted of God. And it is a complete. We must be totally righteous. And we read, and we don't have to read hardly anything of the Old Testament laws, just simply the Ten Commandments. And we can start at the beginning and go to any one of them. And I don't know, I marvel that Paul made that claim that when he was a Pharisee, he felt that before the law he was blameless. But then when Christ came and revealed to him, if I would say the spirit of what the law was pointing at, he said he died. Any goodness that he thought he had in himself, he realized was of no value. We can read these things and it says, if we are guilty of one, we are guilty of all of them. And we're supposed to go guilty of everything and go before a God that demands perfection and we're to go there and expect a judgment of saying yes you're good enough it doesn't add up and when we look at it in those terms it doesn't look like a righteous just God is very loving or merciful because he demands absolute perfection. He demands it from us, which we know are fallen human beings. Otherwise, we know that the Bible tells us that we will be cast into eternal damnation, eternal separation from God. And it is something that as bad as this world is and and the depravity we see of human nature, it is nothing compared to some place where God has turned his back on completely. And I don't care how hard of a person we would be if we can understand that we would not wish it on our worst enemy. And when we use our reasoning in those areas, we can see very quickly why there's people that say, well, how can God be loving? Or if God's a loving, he must do, wouldn't allow that. Or he would just let me into heaven. But they don't go and dig into I would say the rest of the story. The story of what Christ, that God knew that. He knew that, it says, before the foundation of the world was laid. And we have to just leave that statement there. He knew it. And it says that he set up that Christ would come. And we begin to see the love of God. How knowing that we couldn't measure up, before he even made us, he orchestrated that we could be righteous and holy and pure before him. That we could be his children and spend eternity with him. He took care of the problem of sin. He sent his son who it says that this commandment have I received of my father. He was sent here for that purpose by a God who loves us who were so contrary to him. He loves us so much that he provided a a means that his mercy, that we could be partakers of it. If we don't have Christ, we can talk about a merciful God, but if we have no way of partaking of it, what good does it do us? It doesn't do any good. And that is the thing that we speak in 
I don't know, but of the Muslim religion. They talk about a God that's very similar in some ways to the God that we have, and they talk about him being loving and merciful. And yet, there is nothing, as far as I can understand, in any of their teachings of how that mercy can be something that man can be partaker of. It becomes, are you good enough? Have you done enough good to outweigh the bad? How on earth could we ever hope to do that if we have any understanding of what, how good it is that God requires of us? And it is these things that that Holy Spirit will reveal to a heart. It is these things that opens the door, which is Christ. It is why we speak of Jesus. It is something that I guess I find very interesting. It actually... I guess it, could ha- it happened to me just very recently, even in the last week. Someone, people are often very quick and easy to claim that they believe in God. But then if you turn to Christ, very quickly there's not the same belief in Him. They want to set him aside and I believe that it is just human nature or maybe the devil that wants to do that and wants people to be that way because he knows that that only way that we have of being partakers of the mercy and grace and love of God is through Christ And it struck me that maybe we as Christians need to change that question that we would ask someone. And instead of asking, do you believe in God? The question needs to be, do you believe God? It says the devils believe in God and tremble. But they don't, well, I don't know what that's maybe. They maybe do believe, but they have no recourse. But if we as Christians and humans, I should say, believe God, if we believe this word, then we have to, if we are honest with ourselves, acknowledge that we are complete sinners. We fall so short of the righteousness that is required that it, it is hardly worth even men well it is, it's it says it's as filthy rags, any good that we do. But God is loving and He has told us and, and to me that is that important message that it's not the complete gospel, but it is the essence of it. And Jesus speaks those words in, in Matthew in a couple places, but here in the 16th chapter, and he says, I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And to me, those are interesting terms when we look at this that we read speaking about the door and it is what we know a door is locked and you need a key to open it otherwise you can know what's on the other side you can perhaps even look through a window and see it but unless you have the key to open that door you can't take you can't be in there. You can't be partakers of it. It doesn't matter how wonderful and how much you can look at it. 
it does you no good. So Jesus tells them here, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And we could say, well, what is that talking about? What is needs to be bound on earth? If we tie someone up here, will they be tied up? Or what is it saying? And I'm sure that we are all aware of it. But still, we turn to the end of this Gospel of John. And Jesus has come. He says, peace be unto you. Because that is what they were troubled and the reason they were troubled was because they had watched what they thought was their salvation their king be killed on a cross I would pray that we would find someone who comes and I'll add this so all their hopes seemed lost And it must be have been a very, I guess, sad and humbling spot to think of everything that you thought and hoped for was all of a sudden killed and done away with. And the reason I put it in those terms is because we would hope that people could be brought to that place that everything that they have tried and all their hopes and that, that they had put their trust in could be done away with except for Christ and that he could reveal themselves to us to them and that is what I'm speaking of in context of Naaman the Syrian that we as Christians would understand how it is that God works He works through his children here in this world. He uses their lips to bring this message, peace be unto you, that he brought himself to those disciples. That he would give us hearts and lips and even a spirit to recognize when a heart is in the place here. That they recognize that They are sinners and lost and anything that they've put trust in is of no use. And we could bring that message of peace. Why? It says then he breathed on them. And then he says, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And then he gives this commission unto them. He gives these instructions and it lines up with what I read there in Matthew about what it is that is bound on earth or released on earth. And it says, Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. That that is loosed or bound is sin. And what do we do with it? We bring it to that mercy seat We bring it to that altar. We would hope that unbelievers or Christians who are struggling with something that is weighing on their heart bring it to that mercy seat. It says, confess your faults one to another. It says our sins and shortcomings our struggles, that we would bring them there. Because when we are struggling with someone, or when we are struggling with something, God doesn't want us to. He wants us to lay those things aside. Bring it to that mercy seat. And where is it found? It's where we speak of so often. It is why we need to be so thankful for our fellow Christians. Because that is where God is found. That is where that mercy seat is. We bring those things there. We bring them to light.
And sometimes, I'm just speaking for myself, sometimes it's something that's very specific that God puts on our conscience. And I think that that is how we should bring those things. If we've stolen something, we don't say, well, can you forgive me for something? We say, I have stolen this thing. Can that be forgiven? But sometimes, I'm sure we experience it, all of us. For whatever reason, God just reveals to our hearts what we are. That we are sinners. And it can be overwhelming almost at times to realize how short we fall. Or how big we fall. Or how enormous that sin gap is that we are between us and God. And we can come. And I've heard people saying, is there grace for a sinner like me? And the reason that God tells us in, I believe it's in Romans or Corinthians, that we're to come there boldly, is not in a boldness of ourselves, but with the confidence that there is where God is found and He is loving and forgiving. Those things, they are forgiven and we, we know they're forgiven. But if someone comes to us, we reassure them. And it's those words that we use so often that, I guess to me, while they're not laid out not in the Bible, it, it encapsulates what it is that is happened we can assure them believe because it is through faith and belief in what Christ has done believe those things forgiven in the name and blood of Christ I don't know that we understand or maybe it's just me I don't know names in some ways don't mean as much to me as Perhaps in, in biblical times or in, in older times, the name of the king had weight. Or you came to someone in someone else's name because it had emphasis behind it. And maybe it's just our culture and our individual thinking that we stand on our own and it's kind of the Western way of thinking how we do things. We stand on our own merit. But the reality of it is, and we think about it, if we go to another country, we say we are Canadians, and it has some merit to it. And the other thing we have to remember is sometimes it has a a negative thing to it. And it is why we would desire to be known by the name of Christ because there is value there. And especially before God. And it is what we would come on judgment day. And it is why we pray in Jesus' name. Because it is of His merit and because of what He has done that we are able to come before God. Even that we are able to come before Him in prayer. It is because what Christ has done. He has opened those gates that sin closed. And it is what is open to us and what it is open to people that they could come in to the sheepfold. And it says that if that porter hasn't opened the door, if the Spirit hasn't revealed those things to a heart, if the Spirit hasn't worked in a heart and brought it to that place of repentance, it says they're trying to get up some other way. There is one way to become a Christian, and it is through Jesus Christ.
And it is something that we need to remember. And and it rubs people the wrong way. All we have to do is look at Naaman the Syrian. He had in his head how it is that this should happen. It didn't happen that way. But it happened according to how God laid it out. I haven't very far in the text here, but it says... But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and call his own sheep by name, and he leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of a stranger. And I think this is something that we as Christians need to remember and trust and sometimes I know for myself we can hear someone or someone is saying something or giving direction or even claiming Christianity or to be teaching truth and something in the heart says whoa wait a minute it just gives us an uneasy feeling that it's something's not right here. And I think that is what this is telling him, telling us here. They know not the voice of strangers. As Christians, we have heard, if I say the voice of Christ, we have heard this word because it's been revealed to our hearts through that spirit, that door was opened by the porter. Christ Jesus has been revealed to us and it answers to a heart. And as Christians, this message, when we speak one to another or when we go and hear a sermon or we hear someone talking, if it is of God and that spirit is the guiding force of what they are saying, it answers. But if it isn't, it might just give us a little twinge. Sometimes it's very easy to see very quickly that there's something completely off base with this. But sometimes I haven't found it that way. But something just doesn't add up. And maybe I can't put my finger on it right then. But that spirit doesn't answer. And to me, those are the more dangerous things. If someone says something that is completely contrary to the Word of God, and this is just an almost ridiculous example, but if someone comes and says that we should just go out and be killing everybody we can, we don't have a hard time recognizing that that's not of God. But the devil doesn't come that way very often. It says that he comes as an angel of light. I believe that he comes in a way that we, with our natural reasoning and as natural beings, we can't recognize it. And I guess if I would say it's another way that we can see of the mercy and love that God has for us, that he has sent that Holy Spirit to dwell in our heart, and it knows. It knows right now. Because it knows perfection. But those things that very closely try to follow what God's word is, but then bump it off a little bit at the end or somewhere in the middle, to me they are dangerous because we as people can get using our own reasoning and we can get sidetracked. It can happen. We are not infallible. And unfortunately, we're not such perfect beings as Christ that we can walk always in the will of God. We jump out and do our own thing far too often. I think that we, we look at those Old Testament rituals that other cultures had and God told them to not be partakers of the idols of those people that lived in the countries where they came into and conquered and their neighbors around them. 
And we know they did. And we know it was wrong, but also we have to remember, and I believe, take those that knowledge and apply it to us today. They were doing animal sacrifices, just looking purely on the natural side of it. They were killing lambs or turtle doves or goats or cattle and offering a sacrifice to their God. And if it was done by faith and done in the manner that God laid it out, it was right. And it is what God asked them to do. Those other peoples, they were offering sacrifices too. Killing animals, even their own children and that. But it was blood sacrifice to an idol. It wasn't that different looking with a natural mind to what was going on. And so I don't think the devil has gotten any less subtle today. He will come with something that looks very close to living faith. He will come with something that we can do something. Or we're going to walk in such a way that that makes us a Christian. There's an endless number of things that he can come up with that look pretty good. And as Christians, I would hope that it would be the prayer and desire of our hearts that we could be attentive and listening to that still, small voice in all areas, but right now in the context of this, to that, whether the spirit that something is comes in or that is motivating someone, is it the spirit of God? Is it that Holy Spirit or is it some other spirit? What is leading in that life? Is it God? Or is it something that they've come up with with their own mind? It tells us here what we should do. It says, but they will, but we'll flee from him. It isn't something that we are to snuggle up to and say, say, well, no, we'll kind of be close. No, it says flee from it. It says that the parables Jesus spoke unto them, but they understood not the things which he spake unto them. And that is often how it is unless this word is opened and revealed to us. We don't understand what is being spoken. And it is, I guess, leads to that and sometimes I wish it wasn't so, but it is. that People say, well, that's just your interpretation and someone else has a different, excuse me, interpretation of that portion of scripture and someone else might have another one. And in some ways that is true. And it is why we, if I would say, have Bible study. It's so that we can look at a portion of Scripture and if it says something to me, I can say that. If it says something to someone else, they can say. And then we have the ability to look at it and say, well, is what I'm saying and what they're saying, does it just add and make the picture fuller and bigger of what that portion is saying? Or am I perhaps off base in how I'm looking at this? Or are they? And I would pray and I've experienced it, and I'm sure all of us have experienced it, how we can be sitting with someone and discussing the Word of God and the same portion of Scripture revealed in one way to someone and one way to someone else and it just adds to the bigness and fullness of God and we get to see a fuller picture. And it is wonderful and something that we should thank God that he does that and reveals himself. But then if I have looked at something and am wrong 
or someone else has looked at something and they're wrong. That we could pray that we would have humble enough hearts to say no. That was off base what I felt or said. We are wrong at times. It's just how life is. There is forgiveness for that. There is mercy for that. And it is because of what Christ has done. He elaborates here to these people that are listening. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. That's interesting how that is worded, isn't it? It's talking about being the door of the sheepfold earlier. But here he just says, I am the door of the sheep. And we see how it is that it becomes an individual thing. It isn't just that he's the door of the sheepfold, which he is, but he's the, he is the door to each and every individual heart. It says that he knocks on that door. And we are to open it to him. We would desire that Christ would come and dwell in our heart. And it's the same keys. It's those keys of forgiveness. What closes that door is, very simply put, unbelief. Unbelief caused by sin. Caused by human nature, which is a sinful nature. It's what keeps that door closed. God knows that. That's why he sent the keys to open that door. Forgiveness of that sin. That sin can be forgiven and the door opened. Jesus is revealed and he can come in and dwell there. He says, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. I don't think that's saying that we go in and out of being Christians. It means that we have a freedom that we can go and know that He is dwelling right in our heart. It isn't that we just come here to church every Sunday because that's where Jesus is, so we come there. And we would probably want to sit here all the time and not go out the door because that's where Jesus is found. No. He comes and dwells in our hearts and gives us a freedom to know that wherever we are, He's right there. He knows where we're at. And we speak of the freedom of being a Christian. And that's part of it. We have the freedom of knowing that God is with us. Sometimes our feelings get in the way and He doesn't feel there that close. But by faith we know He is. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Anybody who would come and claim some other way of becoming a Christian, but through Christ Jesus and what he has done and what God has laid out, we don't have to wonder what they are trying to do. It says they are to steal and to kill and destroy. They would want to steal our assurance. And what we know, we talk about living faith. We are made alive. But if someone is able to destroy that faith, it kills that living portion. We become dead in sin again. It is what they desire to do. And it is... Perhaps even one of the things that I have mentioned before, that if someone has compromised on their faith, compromised in what they believe, anyway, I'll word it this way, the first thing that they would desire that some other Christian would go along with them so they feel a little bit better in what they've done. Because I don't care who we are, We ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We, deep down, we know what's good and what's not. 
we know there's good and evil and, and we try to cover it up. And if we can get someone who we recognize that, yes, they are a Christian too, to compromise along with us, it, it's easier to salve that over. And I believe that it is part of what these thieves want to do. They want us to compromise it. So it, it steals our peace of a good conscience. And it leads to death and destroys. But Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And I've heard people use that verse and say that, yes, Jesus wants us to have abundance here in this world. And it's that prosperity doctrine. We come and be a Christian and everything will be wonderful. You can have new cars and all you have to do is believe in us. I don't find anything in the Word of God that would back that up. I believe that this is speaking of spiritual life. He brings us, makes us living beings. That Spirit of God dwells in our hearts and makes us alive. And that Spirit of God makes us alive and He wants us to have that in abundance. That that Spirit would be full in us and give us joy and peace. And it's where it says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink but righteousness, peace and joy in what? in the Holy Ghost that that spirit that makes us alive would be abundance and give us an abundance of joy and peace and righteousness from Christ through that spirit that we are partakers of and he tells us how it was accomplished and it's what we talk about at Easter and so often. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and known of mine. And then he speaks of laying down his life for us. And we know that it is that Easter message of his death and resurrection. And this part here, and I won't go into it because there's so much there about the hireling and the shepherd. But I think it gives us, I don't care who we are, but especially perhaps speaking to myself, and those that take positions of leadership, and it doesn't have to be here, it can be just the head of a home or mothers with children. We are the shepherds in those positions. And that we would recognize that we are to not flee from those things. That we are to be there for those ones who need help. That wolf, the devil, the world, those things, our own flesh. If someone is struggling with those things, let us be there for them. Let us use that spirit that God gives us to direct us to be. And we can't be something for everyone, but God puts people in our lives. And he puts it on our heart for someone. And perhaps it's someone who is a friend. Perhaps someone who isn't. But if we are obedient, we can hear those things and be that. I will leave it there. Jesus says that his own know him and he holds him in his hand. And no one can pluck him out. And it goes back to what I said about there doesn't seem to be a question of, of the sheep or not the sheep. If we are the children of God and put our faith in Christ, no matter how the devil would try and no matter how he would want to make it seem to us that he has the ability to turn us away, if we put our faith in Christ, we are secure. We are absolutely secure. Let us put our faith in Christ and what he has done.
today and every day that he gives us faith to walk here. In Jesus' name, Amen. Shall we bow our hearts and receive the benediction? May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Somebody have a song we can continue? 